This podcast is brought to you by Dingle Mount Church. It will open up God's Word to you, inspire you to love God, and grow in the knowledge of Him, and challenge you to live a victorious Christian life. Be blessed as you listen. Forty-eight years old. I was young and good-looking. Had a young and vivacious, vivacious wife. What happened? That year, that year, 1999, I stood in the pulpit of this church. That year, I had tasted bona fide, honest-to-goodness fish and chips and sticky toffee pudding for the first time in my greatly deprived uh, life and Harry Ramston's was just the absolute best place to go. In Liverpool, we were both enamored with anything that had to do with the Beatles. I marveled every time I drove past Penny Lane and I saw the famous gates of Strawberry Fields. And forever, those gates will stay in my memory. Get it? Strawberry Fields. Forever. You got it. Okay. Okay. There's Matthew Street, the caverns, Albert Dock, and plenty of Beatles memorabilia. We moved to Liverpool, and it rained almost every day of our lives. We'd never seen so much rain, but we'd never seen so much green and so many flowers as well. And it was not completely unheard of in the dingle to see the odd car ablaze now and then. I learned many unique and useful terms like nicked, not stolen, tacky, not torn, grasped me up, not told on me, gobsmacked, not amazed, fortnight, not two weeks, rubbish, not garbage. I also learned that a few American words and phrases which were completely acceptable back home were considered highly inappropriate in British evangelical circles. I learned that everybody is a mate and all women are loved. When you ring somebody, you're making a phone call. And when you call somebody, you're actually going by the house. And tea is something that you drink and something that you eat. In fact, tea, the drinking kind, makes everything better, doesn't it? I had quite the education. I learned that a non-scouser is someone from places like Runcorn, anywhere on the Wirral and Southport. I figured that out. It took me two years before I understood the first thing any of the kids had to say here at Dingle Mount Church. Dingle Mount, you were our first love. I want you to know that. You were our introduction to British soil. And what about England? A place where you drive on the wrong side of the road with a steering wheel on the wrong side of the car and you shift gears with the wrong hand, but the gears are in the right place. We fell in love with England. We fell in love with you, and it all began right here in Liverpool. Liverpool will always have an enormously special place in our hearts. Here in 1999, We met some of the most wonderful people that we will ever have known in our whole lives and always remember 
Some have gone on to be with the Lord now. People like Phyllis Leak and Margaret and David Mackey and Nancy Rice, Gordon Newman, Rennie Carter, Brenda Ryan, Joyce Jones, Flo and Fred Upton, George Bethel, and who could forget the incomparable George Cross? You, you almost took the words out of my mouth, didn't you? Together we grew in the Lord. Together we grew in discipleship. Together we studied from this Word of God right here. Together we laughed and we prayed. We even cried a bit now and then. Dingle Mount was our first love. But our first love, our first real love, must always be Jesus Christ. Pastor okay, thank you for allowing me the greatest privilege of all, and that is to once again stand in this spot just for a few minutes and to faithfully proclaim the Word of God and to faithfully share about Jesus Christ. Let's do it. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We'll get to that verse in a minute. But before we look at Romans 8, let's draw our attentions to the book of Jeremiah. You don't have to turn there. And we don't have the scripture of Jeremiah on the screen, I don't think. But Jeremiah 29, 11 reminds us of a promise. A promise which God made to Israel. Jeremiah 29, 11 reminds us of a promise that would, that would surely come to pass after 70 long years of Babylonian exile. A promise that was neither dependent upon their fears nor dependent upon their dreams. God made a promise to Israel during some rather dark and dismal times. A promise that would only be realized through faith. That would only come to pass if they exercised faith. Here it is. Here's that beautiful Jeremiah promise. You'll know it just as soon as I start speaking it if you don't know it already. Here's what it is. God said, for I know the plans I have for you. Isn't that great? God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope for your future. Folks, I'm here to tell you tonight. I'm here to remind you tonight. Your pastor does it over and over again. But I'm here to remind you tonight. God has a plan for your life. Even right now, even if you have been a Christian 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, I'm telling you right now, God has a plan for your life. God has a hope mapped out for your future. God has help for you when and where help is most needed. Sometimes our biggest fears are that God's designs against us uh, are prevalent. Sometimes our Biggest fears are that God perhaps is punishing us for some secret sin that we committed years ago or in our past. Sometimes our biggest fear is that God is ready and willing to help anybody and everybody except us. If you perhaps have ever felt that way, if you have ever seen, if it ever has seemed like those words might have been tailor-made just for you, then I want to assure you this evening that nothing could be further from the truth. You recall the proverb which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. God has a path 
God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life, a design for your future, and it is all hinged on the absence of guilt. Let me explain. Oftentimes, because the depth of understanding God is weak and limited, we're tempted to believe that God is out to get us. All of us are at times. We're tempted to believe that God is ever looking for that one sin or that one flaw or that one error in our lives that will ultimately bring down His terrible wrath upon ourselves and our homes and our families. For instance, have you ever known anyone who was serving God out of necessity? No, you know, not out of joy and not because that Jesus was their all in all and not because they were thrilled to death just to, with the possibility of serving God. Not because they loved Him more than life itself, but they were serving God out of fear. Fear that something bad would happen if their service to God was to abruptly stop. I've known preachers. I have known pastors, good men, good men that have said to me, I didn't want to be a preacher. And God pulled me in, kicking and screaming all the way. Really? Is that God's angle? Is that how He works? Is that how God operates? You know, in all of these years of ministry and in all of these years of officiating marriages, I've never once witnessed a shotgun wedding. Not one time have I ever seen the poor groom standing at the altar, shivering in his boots, as Daddy Dearest is holding a double-barrel shotgun, cocked and aimed and ready. Now, I've seen some nervous brides. I've seen some sweaty palms now and then during a wedding. I've even had a fainting spell now and then. I had a groom fall out on me one time. But I have never witnessed the poor soul being drugged to the altar, kicking and screaming all the way. Folks, serving God is the greatest joy in your life. Serving God is the greatest privilege that you could possibly have. It is the greatest fulfillment and the greatest satisfaction that a follower of Jesus Christ could ever hope for. And I suppose if we're all to tell the truth tonight, if we're all to do some, and let me use a southern expression, if we're all to do some fessing up tonight, if we're all to do that, then each of us could identify a few times of fear and trepidation, a few times of thinking, well, I guess I'd better do this for no telling what God would do if I refuse. So, what's often needed, perhaps, is a better understanding and a much better comprehension of who God is and what He desires from each of His children. The Apostle Paul had finished describing the great dilemma that is found in Romans chapter 7, which he concludes by saying these words. He said, I love God's law with all my heart. He said, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. He said, this power makes me a slave to sin. This is the Apostle Paul talking. He said, this power makes me a slave to sin. Uh, that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am, Paul said. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And the freedom was in Jesus Christ. Immediately in chapter 8, Paul bounces back with a spiritual enthusiasm. 
He bounces back with a spiritual enlivenment that has provided for you and me one of the most comforting passages in the whole of the book of Romans. Paul gives the church of Rome that which he is also giving each of us tonight. Long ago, Paul gave the church at Rome something, and that is which he's giving us tonight. Here he provides us with one of the greatest assurances ever recorded in the Word of God. Romans chapter 7. Here it is. Oh, there's Jeremiah. Let's see what we got. Romans chapter 7, verse 18 through 8-2. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do good. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against me. Go ahead. Uh, of my mind and making, no, go back if you will. Uh, one now, one, one more forward, okay? See if we can do that. There we go. Of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. 8.1, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You know, this great assurance, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus This great assurance found in Romans chapter 8 is the assurance that we need most in our heart and our life. No condemnation. You may not feel it tonight, but I want you to know and I want you to be assured of a certain fact this evening. You are free in Christ. You are free in Jesus Christ. A nation can fight a revolution and set you free. A governor can issue a pardon and set you free. A doctor can give you a clean bill of health. And set you free. You can be free from persecution and famine and addictions and negativity. You can be free from isolation and loneliness and religious and political oppression. You can be free from financial worries and concerns about the future. But there is only one freedom that will truly set you free. And that's the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ alone. There is, therefore, Paul said, no condemnation To those who are in Christ Jesus. Very simply, Webster defines the word condemnation as one who has been found guilty. The scripture says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The scripture says there's none righteous, not one. But all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all turned our own way. We've all satisfied our own desires. We've all rejected the God who created and loved us. These are some pretty strong words, don't you think? These are some actually condemning words. But the Bible further says, to those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is no shred of guilt. 
Now, let's examine for the next few moments. We'll move quickly. Let's examine for the next few moments what exactly the Apostle Paul, this great missionary to the Gentile, is trying to tell us. First of all, to those who have found their place in Jesus Christ, to those who are followers of Christ, by having given their lives to Christ at the foot of the cross, there is no pronouncement of guilt. You know, a man entered a bar and he wanted to buy a glass of beer and immediately the bartender put the glass of beer up there and he took the, the man took the glass of beer and he splashed it in the face of the bartender and immediately the, the, the customer grabs a towel and he begins wiping the face saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And the bartender said, what in the world is going on? He says, I'm sorry. He says, I have this compulsion to splash beer in people's face. And he says, I don't mean to do it, but I do it. And then he says, I'm always trying to apologize and always trying to wipe it off. And the bartender said, well, you better doggone well be sorry. And he says, I'll tell you another thing, too. He says, I'll remember you and you'll never come back in here and get another drink. Well, it was months later before the man showed up in the bar and he asked for a beer. And the bartender says, wait a minute, I remember you. You're the one that threw a beer in my... He says, listen, don't worry. He says, I have gone to counseling. I have gone to counseling. And he began to tell about all the counselors that he had saw. And he convinced the bartender. And so the bartender relented and he put a glass of beer down for the man. The man immediately picked it up and threw it in the bartender's face again. And the bartender says, what in the world? He says, are you kidding me? He says, I thought you were cured. The man said, I am. He says, I I still do it. I just don't feel guilty about it anymore. (laughs) Guilt is like a warning light. Guilt is like a red warning light on a car's instrument panel. You know, when it comes on and starts flashing and you're driving and you're looking down at the light and you're saying, oh, man, i got to pull over somewhere. I'm in the middle of a double roundabout. What am I going to do? You either stop and deal with the problem, or you break out the light. That's what happens. All of us, one time or another, have watched with great intensity a courtroom drama unfold on television. As the jury is summoned back into the courtroom and the poor defendant is standing in, uh, uh, standing before the court, the judge, the jury, and the gallery of people, and then we hear the judge say to the spokesperson of the jury, he says, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? At this point, the chairperson of the jury stands up and says, yes, your honor, we, the jury, have reached a verdict. We find the defendant guilty as charged, guilty of his crimes, guilty of his actions, guilty of his deeds. But folks, in the courtroom of heaven, There is no condemnation in the courtroom of heaven. It is a different story altogether for those who are in Christ Jesus. Have you been to the cross? Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? I'm going to tell you then a guilty sinner stands before a holy holy and a righteous God, but he stands clothed in the pure and in the undefiled and in the undeserved spotless robe of royalty. A robe, like I said, not deserved, but is made white by the blood of Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, I am no longer guilty. In Jesus Christ, you are no longer guilty. But when the verdict is announced, I am pronounced innocent 
by the blood of Christ. Number two, those who have found their place in Christ Jesus, not only is there no pronouncement of guilt, but there is no past record of guilt. The word is expunged. I like that word. I looked it up a few uh, months ago, and, and I like the way it sounds, expunged. In fact, I drive the car, and sometimes I'll say, expunged, expunged, expunged. I like that. I like it. I put it in sentences. I have expunged that period from my resume. Or those unsavory moments in my life, now expunged. Or my criminal record has been forever expunged. As followers of Jesus Christ, as committed Christians, why do we worry and why do we fret so much about past sins? We all do it. But why do we do it? Don't you know that in heaven your sins are forgotten? Don't you know that in heaven God has chosen to remember your sins no longer? Don't you know that he has separated your sins as far as the east is from the west? Don't you know that God is ready and willing to forgive your every sin once and for all? Don't you know there is not a sin too black that God cannot forgive? Don't you know that no matter how much it haunts you in the middle of the night, God has chosen to remember your sin no more, no longer? When I was a kid, we had what was called a magic slate. I don't know if you remember. Some of you may remember that. It had a little piece of plastic on the top, and you peeled it up, and underneath it was uh, some dark wax. And so on the plastic, you had a, a little marker. It was a little pencil-type thing. didn't have any lead in it. It was just a pointer. And you could write on the magic slate, and you could lift it up, and you would erase everything you wrote, and then lay it back down on the surface, and you could write again. I got one of those often. And I thought they were the greatest things in the world. God gives us that opportunity every day of our lives to have a magic slate. But it's a divine slate. And listen, he wipes clean that slate with 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins before him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why don't we take it? Why do we worry so much about past sins? Why don't we claim it for ourselves and say, God, that period in my life is expunged. That period in time in my life, those sins that haunt me so much, those things that I did so wrong, why do I keep bringing them back up? God, you have forgiven me. We have no pronouncement of guilt in our life. We have no past record of guilt according to the Word of God. And finally this evening, there is no punishment for guilt. I'm an atheist, said Linda, as she slammed the door behind her. She says, I'm an atheist who is stuck in a carpool with a religious fanatic. Can you imagine such a thing? Imagine the nerve of that woman, she said, asking me if I knew Jesus Christ is my Savior. Jesus is for the poor and uneducated, of which, Linda said, I am neither. 
I am the only daughter of a wealthy New England industrialist. I have been given the best things that money could possibly buy. I was schooled as a debutante, she said, and I was taught and educated in an Ivy League college. I married my knight in shining armor in a beautiful church wedding. And there in that church, I promised to love, honor, and cherish and never meant a single word of it. She said, I discovered all too quickly that a junior naval officer's pay wasn't enough. I discovered that submariners or submariners go to sea way more than they stay home. I discovered that babies are a whole lot easier to make than they are to take care of. And she says, I discovered that I didn't like being married. She continued, we received orders to Hawaii, to Pearl Harbor. And she says, I thought that was pretty good. Let's go. A change of scenery. She said, that's where I met Anne, the religious fanatic. She gave me a Bible. She told me about a God who loved me. And she invited me to her church. And she never, ever gave up on me. Linda said one day, she says, I reluctantly agreed because she was pestering me to death. I reluctantly agreed to attend a seminar where a Hollywood movie star was going to be the guest speaker at her church. After all, I thought, she said, how bad could that be? Uh, he's a Hollywood movie star. But to my surprise, Linda said, he started talking about Jesus Christ. She said, I went there and this Hollywood movie star is talking about Jesus. He told me that Jesus claims to be the light of the world. That Jesus claims to be the true vine and the door and the light and the bread of heaven and, and the good shepherd and the resurrection and the way and the truth and the life. Suddenly, he stopped. Suddenly, this, this Hollywood movie star stopped and she said it was like he was looking straight at me. And he said these words. He says, now, isn't Jesus more than just a great man? Linda said, my mind was in a whirl. It was going everywhere. My heart was racing. There were palpitations in my heart. She said, the Spirit of God was knocking at my door. And that day, she said, I saw my guilt clear as day, staring me in the face. She says, that day I made Jesus Christ my God and Savior. Today, Linda said, I stand with a new hope, with a new joy. I stand guiltless before my God. And my punishment, she says, well, that was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. Paul said, though many times the taunts of the evil one seem to surround me, he said, this I know, this one thing I am assured of, that those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ there is no pronouncement of guilt. There is no condemnation. And the good news is this. The same assurance can be yours tonight. No matter who you are, no matter what sin you have ever committed, no matter what the problems are in your life, no matter what the circumstances are in your life, no matter how many times you've been haunted by the, pit, the sins of your past, no matter what fear you have, Jesus Christ can set you free. And I'll tell you another thing. It is only Jesus that can set you free. There is no freedom outside Jesus Christ. I had the joy many years, I had several years, about five and a half years of pastoring this church. 
And I don't think there has been a Sunday since I pastored this church that some minister, some pastor, some preacher hasn't stood up here and some way shared some variation of the same thing. Turn to Jesus Christ and you'll find what real life is about. Would you bow with me, please? Father, thank you so much. Thank you for the energy of your word. The power of your word. I can feel in my heart what the Apostle Paul was writing and what the Apostle Paul was saying. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What an amazing passage of Scripture. What an amazing verse for us to look at and to absorb and to understand that all that we have done, all that we carry with us, all that we refuse to forgive ourselves... You have already forgiven and you have already forgotten. Thank you so much, God, for that. And I pray that your spirit will continue to knock upon the heart's doors of those that are here tonight. Those that may be wrestling with those same problems. In Jesus' name. If you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, why not join us in worship at the Dingle Mount Church? Or log on to our website at www.dinglemount.org for more information. Thank you for listening.